Hi, my name is Lauren Martin Day. Um, I am a member of Wellsprings Congregation. Um, some of you know me that way, and others of you know me sort of through the post-evangelical Christian online community. So I want to welcome all of you. It's so nice to see so many different faces from so many different parts of my world in one space today. Um, Dave has been a personal friend of mine for, gosh, going going on four years. Um, we met in the Life After God group um, and then met in person after that, um, and he has been a dear friend to me. Um, all this time, and uh, with his diagnosis, um, this <laughs> okay. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to cry. Um, I'm just really glad to have Dave here um, to share a bit of his story with you um, and to talk about um, death and dying with dignity and with joy. Um, and uh, we feel really lucky that he's with us today. Um, I want to thank Wellsprings for hosting the event. Um, I was really grateful when I came and asked, and our congregation was willing to do that. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with Wellsprings, we are a Unitarian, Universal, Unitarian Universalist congregation. Um, and we meet here in this space on Sundays at 9.30 and 11, and we welcome anyone um, to come and attend and check out our community. Um, we do have information on the back table if you want to learn more about Wellsprings, um, learn a little bit about our history and what we do in our community. Um, there's also um, a donation box at the back, so we want to express our gratitude to Dave for his time um, and help support his travel here to be with us from Tennessee. Um, and so if you'd like to make a donation, you can do that in the box at the back. 100% of the donations will go to Dave. Um, that being said, if you happen to be writing a check, which some of us dinosaurs still do, um, you can make it out to Wellsprings Congregation, and then we'll write one check to Dave. Um, and so that's at the back. Also, you can find Dave's cards there. So if you'd like to connect with him again after the event, um, that'll give you ways to get in touch with him. I think that's all that I'm supposed to say, um, but I just want to thank everyone again for being here and welcome you um, and welcome Dave to come share his story with you. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. I drink a lot of water. Hey, guys. Good to have you here. Thank you for coming out on a Saturday afternoon, a beautiful day. There's a hundred other things you could be doing besides listening to a dying old man, and I'm going to just sit if y'all don't care. Um, is that all right, Lon? Um, and uh, I, I'm talk, I will talk about dying. I'm also going to talk about other things too, living, um, faith, atheism, a bit of my story. Um, I'm going to talk until I'm tired of talking, which could be hours if you've heard me on any shows, you know I can talk. Um, no, I'm, usually I talk until I see people either nodding off or leaving. And then I change directions. I, I am going to try to avoid just kind of telling my story because um, if you really want to know my story, if you don't already know my story, um, you can pick one of any 40 podcasts I've done in the last six months. Um, and, and so I won't bore you with that because... I know a lot. Of, let me just ask you this. Just, I'm curious about this because um, I've been doing this a while now, this dying out loud thing. How many of have heard me on a podcast or a YouTube show? Okay, about a third maybe. So the rest of you are just driving down the road and saw a bunch of cars and thought you would pull in and see what's going on. 
Maybe there's a wedding and there's food. I don't know. Um, no, the, so I appreciate you coming out. And um, what I'm going to do is talk a little bit and then I'm going to do a Q&A. And the Q&A is my favorite part because it, it allows me to hear from you, to talk more about the things that are interesting to you rather than forcing you to listen to the things that are interesting to me because those two aren't often the same. Um, so I'll give you a little, I'll give a little context to what this dying out loud thing is all about. Um, and then I do want to hear questions. Any question is, there's no question off limits. And I say that because, well, I've already gotten pretty much every question you can get. And, and, uh, so really nothing is off limits and I'm not afraid to talk about dying. You'll see that. I'm not afraid to talk about death or, uh, any facets that can, that have to do with death. Um, I am going to read because I'm in a church and I used to be a preacher, which is part of my story. Um, I'm going to read a scripture, <laughs> which just cracks me up for some reason. I don't know why. Huh? Oh, I did. What? Yes, this one is. Um, I'm going to read a verse of scripture, and it has to do with a big part of my story. Um, I, I, as I mentioned, I was, a, I was a Christian. I was an evangelical, charismatic Christian for the better part of three and a half decades, um, which means I'm really old because I didn't get saved till I was 18. So do the math. Um, and I've, I let go of Christianity about eight years ago and, and have been what I would consider an atheist, uh, agnostic atheist for, since that time. Um, but as an evangelical Christian, I was for many of those years on pastoral staff at different churches. Um, uh, I was in the ministry. I was a licensed, ordained minister, did all the things that ministers do. Um, and then uh, upon my departing from faith, uh, it, it affected my family and uh, and my friends. I had a lot of friends. My whole community was the church, was my evangelical world. I knew this was going to do that. It's just flopping around like a fish. Um, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with my ear. I think I've got weird ears. I just don't know what's going on. Uh, yeah, I thought we had that, didn't you? I did something, I'm sure. Let's go like that. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm, I may be moving my head too much. Um, so my departure from the faith costs me a lot. And I'll go into a little bit of that, but not too much because, again, you can get those gory details on the podcast. And you can find all of those uh, on uh, – what's my website? Um, DaveOutloud.com. I don't know any of my stuff. My manager's not here. Marie usually does all this stuff for me. I'm a little bit lost. Um, so all those lists of podcasts and shows I've done, if you're curious, if you really get bored one night and you just want to listen to and watch hours of Dave dying out loud, then it's all right there. I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Maybe you've had a few glasses of wine and you just thought, this is something fun to do. But... um the the issue that I ran into when I was when I was departing from Christianity, and and I want to make a a, a note uh, right off the get off, off the bat out of the gate 
don't mix your metaphors or whatever that is. Um, right out of the gate, I want to make this clear. When I reference Christianity, I'm not painting it with a broad brush. I'm not saying, you know, all Christianity is the same because it's not. Um, I'm referencing specifically evangelical fundamentalism, which was the tribe I was in, which was the brand I knew, which was the world I lived in, was the water I swam in. And so when I when I talk about my Christian friends or my Christian world or my Christian life or whatever, I'm referring specifically to that. And when I when I talk negatively about that, which I will and which I do, and I make no apologies for that. It's because of the damage that I feel like it does and has done and continues to do to people because of the what I consider to be harmful theological positions that are held within that within that tribe. And so I'm specific to that, not the whole broad brush of Christianity. I want to make that clear. But when I left faith, I had a lot of people that would say things to me like, and you've probably heard this, this phrase, you know what, I don't, I don't do religion either. I just follow Jesus. Or I'm just done with the church. I'm just going to have a relationship with Jesus. It's just going to be me and Jesus because he's, he's really cool and he's really great and he really loves me. And I'm not going to do organized religion. I'm just going to, it's just going to be me and Jesus. Anybody ever heard that or said that? Something along those lines? Okay. <clears throat> I have a problem with that. And here's why. Because here's something Jesus said. And again, if we're going to talk about the person or the figure of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, we're going to have to get our ideas of who that is, what that is, what he is from somewhere. And that's going to come from the scriptures, right? From the Gospels. So we're going to have to assume that what's written there is either what he did or what he said, if in fact he did indeed live at all or was indeed the person or the entity that we consider him to be throughout history. So assuming that Jesus was who he says he was and what he did and what he said to respond to people that say, I'm just not doing religion anymore. I'm just going to do Jesus. I, I respond to them with this. I have a problem with that because he said some pretty shitty things. Here's one. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That is the language of a person who's either very narcissistic or doesn't care about family members being connected with one another. Now, the reason I have a problem with that particular verse, because it's, it's problematic. Uh, and Jesus said a lot of other things about hell, and we could go spend the rest of the night doing that, but I don't want to, and I'm sure you don't either. The reason I have a problem with that one is because that's exactly what happened in my family. And when I left, when I left Christianity, my uh, adult daughters, who are married to men who were interns at the church I was on staff at, dissociated from me and began to not have a relationship with me. And by connection, my wife, who I was still married to at the time, who remained a Christian, she did not uh, depart from Christianity. She remained a Christian and still does to this day. And yet they did not have a relationship with her either because she stayed married to me. And so that continues to this day. 
and that's eight years later. So I don't have my daughters in my life. I don't have my grandchildren in my life. And it's because Jesus said things like that. It's the only reason that they're not in my life, because otherwise they're fine with me. It's just that they can't be with me. They can't endorse me. They can't be a part of my life if I'm not going to be um, connected to Jesus like they are. They can't endorse my atheism, so to speak. So the idea of clinging to some semblance of that evangelical faith and booting the organized religion or the church part of it doesn't sit well with me and hasn't sat well with me. And that's just one of the many things, and I won't go into a great length about my problems with evangelical Christianity, but that's just one of the many facets of it that I find to be problematic. And you might have to agree with me. That's, that's a problematic scripture. Jesus saying point blank. I didn't come to, you know, he's called the Prince of Peace. And I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. I think was something got messed up there, y'all. So that, along with the ideas of hell, along with the ideas of exclusivity of faith. In other words, my faith is the only right one, and every other one is wrong. Every other one is misguided. I believed that. In the faith tradition I was in, I believed if you didn't follow Jesus like we did, then you were off the mark. And you need to be corrected. You need to be um, you, you need to get yours right. Hi, Christy. Good to see you. Christy's going to the bathroom, y'all. <laughs> I know Christy. She's a friend of mine. I can do that. So I um, left Christianity and began to identify uh, first as a soft day agnostic because um, atheist has a lot of baggage associated with it as a word. It it doesn't need to, and I don't think it should, because it simply means that I don't believe in God. In fact, I've told many Christians this. You and I are both atheists. I mean, I've said this to a Christian. You and I are both atheists. I just believe in one fewer God than you do. Because they're atheists concerning every other God but the one that they happen to have been born into believing, which is what happens 90% of the time. So I'm on a little bit of a crusade these days to sanitize the word atheist. I use it without apology. I use it with intention because I want to show and I want to talk about the fact that atheists are not bad people. We're not sacrificing goats at midnight in the full moon. We don't eat babies. We don't worship Satan. We don't even believe in Satan. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say we. I mean, we, again, you can't paint anything with a broad brush, but I don't believe in any supernatural entities. Satan, God, Jesus, anything. Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit. No, I don't believe in the Holy Spirit either. But it just means we don't believe in a God. So my point is that atheists are good people. We love. We have compassion. We have kindness. We have generosity. We care for one another. We have community. We are just like everyone else. Do you know there are some states in this country you can't run for public office if you're an atheist? I don't think that's right. It can't be right. Um, so we have some work to do in that regard. Now, that said, I, I don't have a lot of time to do it, but I'm doing my part because I do have one voice and we all have one voice and 
if I don't use my voice, then that's one voice fewer that gets that, that is that's one voice that's silent that shouldn't be silent. We all have a responsibility to speak up for the things that we think matter. And and I think that matters, which leads me to this dying out loud thing. So I am I also apologize for my voice. I've been dealing with a cold and it has migrated to my throat, um, which I don't usually sound this sexy, but. Um, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, bring it down, girls. Here we go. Um, it's just getting, you know, it gets raspy. And the more I talk, the worse it gets. So by the end of that, I mean, like a frog. And that's why we'll do Q&A quicker than we normally would, because I'm going <laughs> to need the break. Um, as, as Lauren alluded to earlier, um, I uh, was diagnosed in February this year, February 26th, with ALS, which is Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a horrible disease. Um, I don't know how many of you know much about it. If you've done any research, you can Google it, and you know, in an hour you can find out more than you ever want to know about it. And it's pretty ugly. And what, that, what it is essentially, give you a little medical uh, 101 here, on ALS is it's the deterioration of the muscles. So, or more correctly, it's the, my, my nerves and my muscles are not getting along and the nerves tell the muscles what to do and the nerves are, are on strike. And so I'm losing strength in my muscles. Um, mine is pretty much in my hands and arms, fingers. I need help with, um, more and more so need help with everyday, uh, things like opening packages and buttoning buttons and, uh, hence, I don't wear anything with buttons on it anymore. I've even got Velcro on my pants. I'm reverting back to a toddler, you know. So, um, but you have to adjust, and that's it's all a ma- it's all a matter of adjustment. Um, I could stay home and not do this, and it'd be easier. Life would be simpler and easier. Um, but I made a decision early on to do the things I want to do. Because to me, to not do that is to give up and quit living. And I made a decision early on. I wasn't going to just sit around and wait to die or try to stay alive as long as possible by finding whatever miracle medication might be or whatever doctor has the latest thing or whatever treatment I might find in Taiwan or Mexico or whatever. I know ALS people who do that, and I don't fault them for that. But I felt like when I got that diagnosis pretty early on, I had to make a decision to go one of two directions, spend all of my time and energy on trying to stay alive or spend my time and energy on living. And I chose the latter. Um, And so it is harder for me to get out and travel and to navigate trains and planes and suitcases. And I have to have someone with me. I have to have someone there to help me or I can just get stuck and, you know, just be, okay. I can't I can't do this thing I'm trying to do. for instance, I did get on a plane. Um, uh, where was I going? Oh, I f- was flying to Charlotte last week. Um, and I couldn't get my wallet out of my back pocket. My fingers wouldn't grip it. And you haven't lived until you've asked a stranger to pull your wallet out of your ass for you. And just the look on their face. Hey, can you get this thing for me in the bag? this wallet right here. Yeah, just pull it out. Yeah. It's okay. No, it's okay. I'm, 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 a good, I'm a good person. I'm an atheist, but I'm a good person. Um, and the look on it. Okay, I, um, yeah. Um, you get to connect with people. You know, that's what it's all about. 
So, no, I, I um, upon my diagnosis, I uh, made a lot of changes in my life. I was working in the insurance business, and um, I it was becoming harder to work because you have to write things, and I can't write anymore. Um, so I retired um, early, and I, I mean, I'm you know, I'm 43. It's hard to retire at 43. <laughs> no, I'm almost old enough to retire. I'm 64, and um, I, uh, I just, I just decided I'm going to retire, live off um, renewal money I have coming in, and and travel as much as I could, and see people I want to see and spend time with people and do things that are important to me. You know, it wasn't like a bucket list, like skydiving and riding a, bu- a bull named Fu Manchu and all that stuff. But it was just stuff I wanted to do. That was my initial reaction. And um, so I quit work. I moved out of my apartment and with some friends just because I knew I, did, I didn't need to. I needed to be less and less alone as time went on. And so I wanted to make, you know, just do smart things uh, for the first time in my life. Um, and I started selling things um, and giving things away and lightening my load and trimming the sales and simplifying my life and just making um, decisions to to get the most out of what I had left. That was my initial thought. <clears throat> and that was very me-centric. It was very, you know, what do I want to do for my pleasure? And, and, and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I would have been perfectly within my rights to do that. The thing about when you're dying, you get to do anything you want and say anything you want because you're kind of all out of fucks at some point. And I was kind of all out of fucks before that. I'm really, really out now. And so I do what I want to do. And I don't, I'm not, you know, an asshole about it or unkind. Um, I just, I use salty language. Have y'all noticed? Is that okay with everybody? If you get, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, so. I just don't know how not to. Um, I do, but I just don't want to. I just, I'd rather say it. Um, so I, I just uh, started doing what I wanted to do, but then I started talking about dying as an atheist, and and on podcasts. And Marie, my assistant, started booking me on podcasts, and one show led to another, and then started booking me into events like this, and I started traveling, and I will have been. In the air more this year, by the end of the year, than probably any five years combined of my life. It's been insane. Um, and, and wonderfully insane. I, I love it every minute of it. It's as exhausting as it is, I absolutely love connecting. Like today, I connected with, I met old friends. Y'all know what that means? Huh? No, that's what I mean. I met, yeah, new friends. People that I've known in the virtual community I've met today for the first time, and that just thrills me to no end. And, and that human connection and hugging that neck and, and looking in the eyes, and that's just what it's about to me. And so that's why I travel and do this. Um, but I started talking about uh, dying as an atheist, the transition from my life as a Christian to my life as an atheist, and what that means uh, when you're facing death. Um, because... Before, as a Christian, death was just the entry into eternity. Death was just uh, a, a pause, and then you wake up with Jesus and you sing in Hosanna for the next gazillion years. Which, you got to admit, sounds really boring. Come on, let's just be let's just be honest about it. 
I cannot, I could never get excited about that. I was always saying, God, please have golf courses there or something. Um, and so I never could wrap my head around heaven to begin with or hell. Um, but uh, that was my view, that this life was just a temporary as, as a, a dress rehearsal for the real thing. And what that ends up doing, and this is what I've talked about a lot, and this is what my Dying Out Loud message is, is that when you view this life as a secondary life to eternal, eternity or eternal life, then by definition, by default, it's going to be less important, less valuable. The moments don't mean as much because, yeah, you've got a, a, a good, you know, a thousand, thousand moments that you're going to have in this life. I haven't done the math on that, by the way, so I don't really know if that's accurate. Don't, if somebody's going to look it up. There's, no, that's not right, Dave. It's not a thousand, thousand. Um, whatever moments we have in this life, whatever days, months, years we live in this life, if this is just a preseason football game, does it really matter? No. You know, we're just, we're just warming up for the real show. But when you know that this is the only one you get, when you know that this is it, uh, it makes everything more important. Life becomes that much more precious. Every moment matters. I was going to have Lauren read a poem, but I won't for time's sake. And it's a poem called My Soul Has a Hat. I've referenced it before in talks, so you may have heard me say something about it. <clears throat> but it, uh, uh, My Soul Has a Hat by Mario Dondrade, a Brazilian poet. And the last line is, is really a catch line. And it says, we have two lives. And the second one begins when you realize you only have one. And and when you do, when I when you when you come to that place where, for me, when I came to the place where I let go of Christianity and let go of the idea of eternity, that this life was was the only one, it made it that much more important, and 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 it made everything matter more. And so I began to use this phrase long before I got the ALS diagnosis. I get I began to live by this motto of it says carpe the fucking diem so yeah there you go preach it brother um which to me just means seize the day and really seize it get everything you can out of it seize the moments don't miss them don't get caught up in the mundane but live your best life every day as best you can now none of us are going to do that we're going to have good days and bad days but if we're aware that these moments are all we have if we're aware that they're precious and beautiful, if we're making room for them, if we're giving them a chance to happen, then we're more than more likely to be aware of them and enjoy them and live them than if we're not. And so when I started doing these podcasts and talked about dying as an atheist and looking at death and, um, you know, the whole all the facets of the day, you know, you realize death is something nobody likes talking about. Kind of like the elephant in the room. We all know we're going to do it, but nobody really wants to go there. Um, so when I begin to talk about it and and really just kind of pull the covers off of it and shine a light on it and say, yeah, this is where this is where this is going. This is what's happening. This is how I feel about it. Um, it really began to resonate with people. And um, more and more people began to want to hear me and, and, and have been hearing from people uh, a lot of these shows i do have a broad reach like literally all over the world 
And so now it's not uncommon for me to wake up um, in the morning, like yesterday was a, was a, a um, typical day in the life of Dave, uh, dying out loud Dave. I get up to a message from a woman in the Cayman Islands who says that she bought some of our swag. We have swag. Melody, come up here. Come up here, Melody. Our, our lovely model, Melody. I'm from a model, but... Yes, you're a beautiful model. Okay. She has one of our sweatshirts on. This is one of our, uh, our images. <laughs> See? T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee cups, shower curtains. You can shower with Dave for only $50. No, this different colors, different designs. That that um, shop is on our website or linked to it. You order it online. They ship it to your house. And it's and it's just a way to support what we're doing and to remind yourself to seize the moments and all that. Yes, you can go back to your seat. Thank you. Wasn't she lovely? Give it up for Melody. Um, and that just, the whole t-shirt thing just happened organically. I'll tell you, that's the funny story. Um, but message from a woman in the Cayman Islands who says, I ordered some of your t-shirts and I couldn't find a way on the site to have them shipped to the Cayman Islands. And so I had them shipped to my home in NZ, New Zealand. Okay, so we've got somebody in New Zealand. I have no idea who this is. She's heard me on something, and she's wearing my shirt. She's wearing my face on her chest. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, you want shirts delivered to the Cayman Island? I can help you with that. Um, Cayman Island sounds like a great place to visit. So I volunteered to hand deliver. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the point is, I wake up to that message, and then... A few hours later, I get a message from a guy in Kentucky or Tennessee or somewhere. And he says, hey, I took the liberty of writing this song and recording it and making a video. And I put it on YouTube um, about my life. And it's now the third song that's been written about my life, about me. So we've almost got enough for an EP. Um, So I think we're going to release that soon. But this is just what I'm talking about. Um, Somehow... Talking about living and dying and seizing the moments and not being afraid of death and living uh, your best life as a secular person, not needing a God to direct you, not needing a God to comfort you. I want to announce that, yes, there are atheists in foxholes because I'm in one. And so I'm not running back to God. I'm not afraid I'm not, I never had, and I've been asked this question a dozen times in Q&A and on podcasts. You know, when you got the diagnosis, did you think, and if one of you were going to ask me that, weren't you? When you got the diagnosis, did you consider for a moment that maybe it was God and maybe you should return to God? Not for a nanosecond, no. It just wasn't on my radar, and it's not on my radar because I just don't feel the need for that. But the shirts thing, this is a typical example. I got... A few minutes, a few months ago, I got a message from a guy out in Oregon named Brian, and he said, um, really sweet message. He's dealing with some bad cancer, a stage four cancer, and he's really struggling. And some things he heard me say on a podcast really inspired him. And I don't mean to diminish when I hear when I use words like inspiring and you're a hero and you're a legend. And this is what people are telling me. And I don't like to say those words out loud, but. 
what I, the reason I even mention them to you is that somehow what we're talking about is registering with people and and it's inspiring them to live differently or to think about life differently and to think about death differently. And I love that. And I, I just wouldn't trade anything for that. So Brian sends me this message and. Oh, there's another phrase that I got to back up. I do this all the time. I'm a terrible speaker. Um, we've got this thing. These bracelets came out before the T-shirts and they're called WWDD. And the way the way that that came about, everything has happened organically. We didn't sit around in a room in a room and figure out how to what's our marketing strategy for for my death? How are we going to maximize that? How can we get the most out of that? No, none of that happened. Um we're at a meeting. We have an, uh, in our, I'm from Nashville and we have a local group there, a bunch of ex-Christian atheists. We get together every month. It's kind of a support group or, um, you know, like a, a, hi, I'm Dave. I'm an atheist. Hi, Dave. You know, we, no, we don't do that, but we just kind of, it's our community. And so the month after we were meeting, after everybody got heard, heard the news about my diagnosis, it was in March, uh, where everyone was sharing, you know, what's, we all go around the room. We share what's going on in our lives and, it's a really beautiful meeting and um, beautiful people. Um, so there was a lot of emotion in the room, a lot of tears, a lot of people. You, you may not believe this. A lot of people really like me. And so a lot of people were really torn up about this diagnosis. And and so they were sharing about their reactions. And one of the women was sharing about how that she was dealing with some frustrations of the day, you know, a few days before. And I'm having to burp. I'm really sorry. Oh, that's better. Um and she was just going through her day and, and frustrated and, and she paused and thought, man, Dave would not be upset about this. He's got such bigger issues on his plate. And why am I getting bothered about this little trivial thing? And someone else said, yeah, what would Dave do? And then someone else said, yeah, WWDD. And so she's an artist. So she started making these WWDD bracelets and we started shipping them again all over the world. It's freaky when you see someone send a picture from Paris, France. And they've got a WWDD bracelet on. It's kind of an unusual experience. So this dude, Brian, in Oregon, he sends me this long message and he says, you really inspired me. You've caused me to really wake up from, you know, the things I was depressed about or so on and so forth. And I just love your message and I want to support you. And I went and got one of your T-shirts. And I I texted Marie and I said, do we have T-shirts? Nope, we don't. And he, he had gone online and he'd gotten, he sent a picture that says, WWDD, what would Dave do? And he thought it was me because I'm obviously the only Dave out there <laughs> in the universe. And so he thought he was getting a T-shirt of mine and he wanted to support me. He said, I got one of your T-shirts. I said, oh, dude, that's so sweet, but it's not mine. Send it back. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just said, that's great. Um, but then I thought, we should have T-shirts. And so, hence, we have T-shirts and other things. So all I'm saying, I'm saying all that to say this, that this weird place I find myself in in life is at once the hardest time of my life and the most rewarding time of my life, if that makes sense. Because here's the reason why I say that. I mean, I would not wish ALS on anyone. It's 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 going to get really dark and it already is starting to my hands are failing me my arms are failing me and and life is going to get really hard sooner rather than later and i don't like that at all um 
I'm kind of pissed about it because I was really living my best life. Um, I was I'd, I'd moved on from my marriage because it just was not working. And I was living um, as a as a, um, a free man and 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 in all the ways who I wanted to be and who I really was. And and then this came along and it really pissed me off. So I'm not really happy about it. Um, but what it has what it has allowed me to do. It's, it's, it's given me this platform that I would not have had without ALS. You wouldn't be coming to talk to me. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be going around the country talking. Uh, next weekend I go to Houston. The weekend after that I go to Toronto. The weekend after that I'm going to Madison, Wisconsin. And then that finishes up the year, uh, finishing up writing a book in December and January. And then in late January we start all over. I'm going all over next year. I'm going to travel as long as I physically possibly can. And it may be that guy that gets on the front of the plane before everybody else. They push him in and I say, okay, send me to the front. And I'll, I'll take what I can get. And it's, a, it's just a process of adjustments. You just have to adjust how you do things and what you do and what you don't do. And, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating as hell. But then you make the adjustment and you move on and you figure out how to manage life now. How are we going to do this part? And you get help. You just get help. And, and, and you know, I'm an independent guy. I have been my whole life. I've had to learn to ask for help. Can you fish my wallet out of my butt for me? That would really help me. Um, it doesn't bother me anymore. I just don't care. I'm never going to see that person again. It gives her something to talk about, you know, when she gets there. You won't believe what happened to me at the airport. So, you know, made her day a little brighter or weirder, whatever. Um, so without this disease, without this change, of course, in my life, I would have gone on and lived another 20, 30 years, maybe, you know, 64, 74, 84. After that, it gets a little sketchy. I'm not really sure I want to go much beyond that. And, you know, apologies to any of you who are great. Good for you. I just never wanted to be an old man getting Worse and worse and worse and worse, you know, walking around like this. And, and, and I just didn't want to be that guy. So I'm not going to have to be. So there's that. Um, so I would have lived a few more years and, and, you know, settled into some kind of a retirement and some kind of a quiet life and, and never gotten to do the things I'm doing and say the things I'm saying to the vast numbers of people that I'm getting to talk to um, in places like this, meeting in person, but all over the world via online, that there's some, I mean, this woman in Cayman, she's like, I was showing Bevan, my girlfriend, last night. She, I said, how is a woman who's maybe barely 30, halfway around the world, getting anything out of what I'm saying? Why would it register on her radar at all? I mean, when I was that age, I was invincible. I was going to live forever. Why would I listen to some dude talk about death? But somehow it's, and she says in her message, you've helped me to focus on what matters in life. And I want to keep that in front of me. And you help me do that. And wearing your shirts reminds me to do that. And I just thought, how beautiful is that? Who gets a chance to do that? So my point is, uh, uh, I realized that very few of us get a chance to make a mark. To leave something of substance. Um, and I'm getting to do that in a way, not in a way that I would have chosen, 
but it is it's what's been handed to me and I've embraced it and so this is what I this and and here's the other thing if I didn't have this kind of stuff to do I'd be sitting at home watching reruns of Bonanza and watching my body waste away and getting weaker and weaker and weaker and just basically waiting to die and that's not a choice I want to make so I'll do this over that any day um and I am doing this. I'm working on a book. We're working on a documentary. Um, these are things that I'm going to be able to leave behind. Every podcast I do, every thing is videoed and recorded, and it's there for everyone. And um, I, I love that I get to do that. And so I wouldn't choose it, but I'm, I'm thankful for it. Uh, am I saying that I'm thankful I got ALS? No. I'm, I'm thankful that, that somehow I'm able to pivot it to something that I get to do that I feel like makes a difference and that matters. And, you know, I was a pastor a lot of years and I always tried to do my best and thought that I was doing my best. Uh, thought that I was on the right path for all those years. I wouldn't have stayed on it if I didn't think I was. I wasn't doing it in any kind of nefarious way. I wasn't trying to trick anyone or mislead anyone. I was doing what I thought was right and good. And um, and then I've, I've begun to live a little bit by this phrase that Maya Angelou said, which simply says, do the best you can do until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. That's pretty fucking simple. And it really defines my journey through Christianity, out of Christianity, into atheism. Because I thought I was doing the best I could. And then when I woke up, in my view, that's my view, that's my perception. I woke up. I realized this isn't true. All the stuff I believed all these years isn't true. I was, I was fooled. I was misled. I was mad at myself. I wasn't mad at, you know, people accuse atheists of being mad at God. You can't be mad at something you don't believe is there. You just can't. That's impossible physiologically, mentally. But I felt, um, I was sad, I was angry, I was distraught, I was disoriented. I didn't know anyone who'd been through that. Um, I started looking online, uh, you know, for Anybody I could connect with that could relate to what I was experiencing because I did not know what I had experienced. It was nothing I chose. I didn't wake up one day and say, I'm done with this. I'm going to be an atheist now because I knew it was going to cost me everything. I knew it would cost me my family, my friends, my relationships, my community. I figured it would cost me my marriage. It did. Um, All of that I knew it was going to cost me. But still, I had to be honest with myself and the questions I was asking led to the answers I received, and, the, and that caused me to have to be honest with myself and be authentic. And I could not be uh, dishonest with myself and inauthentic, and I, had to, I came to that conclusion. So I, I began to search. One of the first places I found was a thing called the Clergy Project. And my friend Lon, raise your hand, Lon, has come from a couple hours away. No? Yeah? We've never met until... An hour ago, we've been on, we've been, I was on the board of the Clergy Project with Lon. Lon is the current president, doing great work. The Clergy Project is an online forum for clergy, both current and former 
like myself, I was a former clergy who no longer believe in the supernatural deity and have lost their faith. Many of them still stuck in the pulpit, stuck in ministerial jobs they can't get out of because they don't know how to make a living and they're trying to exit. And it's, it's, a, it's incredible support for people who are like I was back in 2011, completely lost and alone, completely alone. And I say I didn't know a single person on the planet I could talk to about this. I mean, not one. Um, I couldn't call anybody and say, dude, you're not going to believe what happened to me. Because uh, anybody I told that to said, what? Get behind me, Satan. So huge benefit that they provided. I got involved with the clergy project and got on the board of that. I only resigned uh, earlier this year after I got my diagnosis. Um, but I began through other online resources to connect with other people other um, online groups that had been through similar things. And now, in 2019, um, there's a plethora of resources for people who are losing their faith or have lost their faith or don't know what's going on in their faith. And, and here's, there's a group I'm connected with called Recovering from Religion, um, which helps people find their way as they're coming out of that. But it does not go out and try to extract people from religion. We're not, you know, they're not proselytizing. They have no tracts. They have no pamphlets they pass out trying to get you to deconvert from your faith. It's just there for people who are losing their way or have lost their way and need to know how to navigate that. What do I do? How do I do it? Who do I, do I, should I tell my family? There's a whole thing called coming out. Now we have to come out like gay people do. I mean, it's like, there are people I know who, who are not Christians, who are atheists, whose parents don't know, whose kids don't know, whose spouse doesn't know. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, religion does a lot of damage, y'all. I'm just going to say it. It just does. It shouldn't matter. You know, it should matter. What kind of person are you? What kind of human being are you? How do you treat people? I, don't, I shouldn't care what you believe about a deity. And in fact, I don't care, me personally, unless you're using your belief to impose upon others what they should do or not do. Or trying to write laws in our country based upon your belief. So that's when it matters to me. And that's why I speak against the evangelical fundamentalism because that's the, the mindset they have. They want everyone to think the same way that they do. If you're a progressive Christian or uh, you call yourself a Christian, you believe in a God or some kind of a power or a a force or an energy, I don't care. Just don't try to make me do it because that's not going to go well. Um, and don't try to impose that on others. And don't separate from people who don't believe that way. Just be, just be a good person. You know, it's a pretty simple rule. Don't be an asshole. It's not that hard. So that's kind of the, the gist of what I'm doing with the Dying Out Loud and what we're, uh, what we're going to continue to do um, it's it's an important message. It's it's something that I continue to see resonates with people in ways that are making a difference in their lives. Some of the messages I've gotten have just left me weeping in the floor. You know, people who really needed a, a boost of some kind and somehow me saying something at the right place at the right time did something for them that that made their life better, um, you know, for a day, for a month, for a year, for for going forward i don't know does it matter no if it's a positive thing then i'm i'm down with it and i want to do it as much as i can 
And so now I'm tired of talking. And so now Lauren is going to be Vanna White and move around with the microphone. <clears throat> and we're going to, I don't know what, I haven't looked at the clock. Our, what are we doing on time here? Oh, we're good. Okay, so we got about half hour. Do they run us out at a certain time or what? What time's the pizza coming? Oops. Um, so, Jesus. I just, my hands, y'all. Um, visual evidence of what I deal with every day. Um, so any question, like I said, about the, the, the dying part, I haven't talked about dying with dignity. I usually run out of time before I get to that. But end of life choices that we don't have in this country that we need to have. If you have a question about that, I've got some things I'm pursuing in that regard. But any question about the faith aspect, the, the ALS, any of it's open, open forum. Let me have it. Okay. And I have taken care of three or four um, clients with ALS. And they have received a lot of support from the ALS Society ongoing. They have used it or haven't? They have. Okay. And I wonder if that's something you're going to explore in the future. Yes, I'm connected with groups like ALSA and um, other groups. Um, It varies state to state what's available in terms of medical care. I know that um, down the road I'm going to need stuff I don't need right now. And I'm kind of a guy that... um, I'll deal with that when I get to it. And that doesn't always serve me well because sometimes mm-hmm. you need to plan a little bit. I'm not a big planner. Um, my girlfriend really is kind of, I've, she's kind of um, mad at me about that. Um, she's not here tonight. She's coming later. But she kind of is more on top of that stuff than me. I like to delegate, you know. So uh, you tell me what I need when and we'll get it. And then we'll find the money. We'll find the money to get it with. Does that answer your question okay? Okay, yeah, it's very state-to-state, and we're looking into that and what's going to be needed and what's available and how we get it and all those things. But, yeah. Isn't that when you're about to die? Oh, oh. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I don't know how far I'm going to let this thing go. You know, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and I'm going to say when I've when the losses are much, much greater than the gains, I'm 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 ready to turn the light off. I've got no problem with that. And I've got a plan in place. Okay. yes. Um, Thank you. My name is Mohammed Sise. Um, Everyone. Please listen carefully. I have a very thick accent. <laughs> and I'm the black Eskimo in the room. You don't know. I just came from Alaska. I, I, I hear about this conference, and um, I had a family member in Washington, D.C. I thought it was going to be really interesting for me to be here. It's the very first time I'm having to be with uh, non-believers in a, a congregation setting. So it's really, really refreshing. But let's get to the point. At 4.20 precisely, you said, uh, if I can summarize it, no God, no family. Meaning, because you don't have a God, you lost everything. You certainly read from the Bible. 
which is a little bit more peaceful. I was born and grew up in an Islamic family. There you don't have a God, you get to be stoned to death. My own mother just decided not to talk to me anymore because I don't believe mm-hmm. in God. I told him, I said, hey, I'm fine with that. I'm okay. Just let me know whenever you need help. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. I'll help you out. And um, she kind of like a struggle. And only my brother or my cousin would call me, hey, your, I think your mom needs some help. I said, okay, I'll send you money in Western Union right now. Just go give it to her. And then they asked me, how do you do this? She doesn't like you. She talked bad about you. I said, yeah, that doesn't change the fact that she's my mom. Yeah, religion could separate. Exactly. Did, did you have a question? Yeah. Okay. My question is, you were taken hostage during a mental robbery. Say that again. You were taken hostage. Hostage. During a mental robbery. During a mental robbery? Yeah. How did you escape? Did you pay ransom? Did you fight your way out? In either case, the robbery is still going on. How and what can we do to stop it besides criticizing Christianity or Islam? The reason why I ask this question this way is, this is what religion is. It's like someone pointing a gun in your head. You either follow my God or I'm sending you to hell. If you follow him, I send you to the heaven. And then we get hold on to it. And at some point, we hate each other. And it has lasted so long that we lost the sense of what it, what it means to be human. How did you escape? Is it because of, because of this disease? No, no. Or did no, you... I, I want to make it clear. Thank you for your question, though, by yeah. the way. I'll, I'll go ahead and answer that best I can. But um, I want to I make it clear. And I've, the chronology is very important. Uh, this disease has nothing to do with my atheism. I let go of Christianity long before this disease. Like I said, I've, that was 2011, and the disease only a- appeared uh, 26. I mean, this year, 2019. Um, so I let go of it because I, uh, I, I, it was a, it was a long process, a discovery, but I essentially ran out of reasons to believe. And the second part of that is I quit. I got tired of making excuses for God's poor behavior, and 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 why God didn't do this, why God didn't do that, where God was, where God wasn't. And those kind of things. I don't know how we, we get free from this robbery concept of, of Christianity, uh, religion, holding a gun to your head. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of people might think that way. Other, others would feel like it was uh, a life-giving uh, op- option for them. Regardless of how people enter religion, I think mostly it's absorbed by the culture that you're born into. You're, you're, you're absorbed into that culture if you're born in a Muslim society, that's going to be your religion by default. If you're born into a Christian culture, that's going to be your religion by default. And the only way to break free from that is to ask the questions and think for yourself. And so when I talk about uh, criticizing evangelicalism, it's not so much that. It's me basically saying, ask your own questions. Don't be told what is and what isn't. Don't let someone else define your life for you. Don't let someone else write your story you take the pen and write your own story. You have one life, and you're responsible for it, and you get to live it on your terms, and that's okay. And, in fact, that's what we should do. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Dave. 
I By the way, that. I want to say that for me to wear a T-shirt with an old white dude's face on my body, I mean, I must really love you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is not something I do. Um, no, but that's not my question. Um, in my experience, I have noticed that illness, um, death, struggle in any way can... Um, bring people together, you know, like you see people at a funeral, right? And you haven't seen them in 20 years. Right? right. And so it can bring relationships and people back together. Has your diagnosis um, reopened any form of communication at all with your estranged family? And um, or do they even know you're sick? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm, I let everyone know. Um, I want to make it clear. I've got three kids. My two daughters are the ones that have pushed me away since left leaving faith but my son is still very very good with me and very much in my life in fact we're going to see him tomorrow he's in new york city and we're going to go up to new york city tomorrow for the day um and uh so yeah they i let everyone know um and the, the girls have have re-engaged a bit they've they've been very tentative and, and a bit fearful um but they have opened the door a crack and so I'm taking whatever I can get and um, in communication with them. And, and so, you know, it's I know they don't like what I'm doing because, um, you know, I'm out there. I'm on I'm, I'm I'm very public and vocal with what I'm doing. And I'm doing that by design because I, I really feel like it's important to talk about these things. But I think they're uncomfortable with it because they're still deeply immersed in evangelical Christianity. My older daughter who lives in Florida, her husband and her have just started a church this year. So they're still, you know, they're just moving on down the road with it. And my um, older brother, he's an evangel- evangelical pastor in East Texas. My mom's a, a sweet little 86-year-old Jesus-loving Christian. My sister is a conservative Christian. And so I'm surrounded by them. They've been somewhat engaged, but not really present, if, if I can put it that way. They're They're... They're not going to avoid me. I'm talking about my extended family, but they're not pursuing me. And it's been a marked difference between their reactions to this diagnosis and my atheist friends. My atheist friends run toward it. They've been present. They've been, they, they reach out all the time. They want to come by and see me. They, wanna, they send me messages out of the blue. How you doing? Been thinking about you. And it's just remarkable to see that. And one reason I think that one conclusion I've come to in that regard is this, is that <coughs> the Christians don't know what to do with it. Because when when you um, when something like this happens in the Christian world, you get a fatal diagnosis or you get cancer or someone dies unexpectedly, suddenly young in a young at a young age, you have to factor in what's God doing, what's God saying, where's God? And so they don't know what to do with my their atheist brother, son, dad, who is now dying as an atheist and is not clearly not close to coming back to God. So what do we do with him? What's what's going to happen to him when he dies? Um, How do we factor this in? How do we talk to him? What do we say to him? So because they don't know what to say, they don't say anything. And it's it's not hurtful to me it's more like i feel sorry for them because they're just kind of in this spot where they don't know what to do where me i'm just i'm embracing it i'm living and and moving on and doing the best with it and i'm as free as i've ever been i'll talk to anyone about anything anytime 
They just don't want to. But, yeah, long answer to a short question, but thank you. That design, by the way, is really cool. Um, it's a new one. Uh, we've got several in our merch store, um, our swag. Uh, this was an artist in England that heard me on some show and was really inspired and reached out and said, I want to do something for you, Dave. I want to make a portrait. I want to draw something. I want to, this is what he does, is these line drawings. And he said, I want to try to capture the disease in an image. And I sent him a picture of me smoking a cigar one night and the smoke was kind of drifting up in front of my face. And he took that picture and the next day he sent that and I just went, whoa. Because it, first of all, it looks like my head's exploding. But... <laughs> Uh, more than that, it kind of it kind of captures the disintegrating nature of the disease and how it affects my life. And I thought, wow, what a perfect but but it shows me content doing what I love, smoking cigars and most likely I was having a bourbon with it. And I will probably smoke a cigar the last day I live because I'm just going to do what I want to do. God damn it. So I thought I thought it captured it great, beautifully. And so. Yeah, yeah. Next question. Oh, sorry, I, I ramble. I'm just. Hi, my name is Phyllis. Uh, my question is, what is your belief after you die? What happens after I die? I believe I, I you know, obviously I don't know, and and the truth is none of us do. Um, but I just believe I go to nothing. I fade to black. Um, I will I will be like I was before I was born. And um, I, I don't know that that's true. The, the reality is I don't think I will know afterwards because I'm not going to be aware of anything. And so, you know, when people, uh, the, the, the second part of that question often comes is, are you afraid of that? You know, how do you, what do you feel about that? How do you feel about the lights going off and nothing beyond that? And I, again, I just think if you break it down, if you really stop and think about it, let's just quit being afraid of the word dead or death you're going to go to sleep like we do every night and you're just not going to wake up. But the reality is you won't know that you haven't woken up. You won't be aware of anything. So what is there to be afraid of really? You know, so I, I, I mean, I like going to sleep. I just won't wake up the next day and I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is not living my best before that. I'm pissed that I'm going to have to leave the party early because there's stuff I want to do. There's places I want to go. I am going to go uh, skydiving, by the way. I got that planned <laughs> for after Thanksgiving. Um, I don't know if I'll ride a, boonet, a bull. I, I don't really care to do that. That feels like that might hurt. And I just don't want to. I don't want to look for pain. Um, but I'll do other things. I knew you'd have a question, Lon. No, actually, I don't have a question, but I did want to share a couple things. But I frequented a restaurant. I got this problem with my pants. I got a big round belly and nothing behind it. Keep it up. Common problem. I see. I see suspenders in my future. But uh, yeah, um, you reminded me talking about death, and there was a plaque in a restaurant I used to frequent in Minnesota, near the restroom, and it said, "When you're dead." You'd be the only one who doesn't know you're dead because you're dead. Exactly. And the next line is, stupid works the same way. <laughs> so thanks for leading me into that. 
the clergy project, I have a little story about that. And Dave, because uh, I'm, I'm the president of the clergy project, not because I'm anyone special, but I was just standing around looking presumptive, I guess. And I was one of the guys that actually does things, gets them done. You know how that goes. So anyways, and so Dave was the secretary of the board. And I, I had the bad judgment to schedule board meetings for Saturday night. Love. And, and it seems seems to be that Dave thought he had some sort of a social life, so Saturday nights weren't working out for him. And so we switched the meeting times to Sunday afternoon at one o'clock. And I just want you to know we still meet Sunday afternoons at one o'clock, even though none of the rest of us can get a date, obviously. <laughs> so and you cut also, into my dating life, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and then finally, I just want you to know that I have a I have a couple of this. I'm I'm a little older than Dave, and uh, I have practically nothing left in my bucket list. My bucket list is enormous, <laughs> but Dave was definitely on my former list, so I'm glad to be with him. So tonight. good to see you, Lon. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank you. Hi, Dave. Hi. Um, I think outside of the religion question, death is something so difficult in our society to deal with. Um, I pretty much lost my religion when I was 30. We lost our mother. She was even younger than that. And we watched her suffer for three, four years mm-hmm. terribly. And um, I, I just said, I'm not on this train at all. I mean, this... It makes no sense to me. I found that so many religions portray God as being angry, and if you don't do this, if you don't do that. And I just, I didn't want to believe in a God like that. So um, I pretty much accepted that about myself for 40-some years now. I'm atheist agnostic, mm-hmm. because the universe is gigantic, and we don't really we know, don't know what's out yeah. there. But about death mm-hmm. itself... I think maybe Europe does a better job with this in some countries. But in the United States, it's something we never want to talk about. Everybody's vibrant. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's this and that. And no one really talks about death. I know when my mother was dying, we had a hard time talking about her dying. Mm -hmm. When my father was dying 10 years ago, it was different. And we were able to talk about dying. And we talked with my father about his dying. And my father, by the way, was an atheist. Um, And... He wasn't. He never. He never jumped in that foxhole and all of a sudden called on God. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you is: Are you aware about the death cafes that are starting to crop up in mm-hmm. some of our big cities? Yeah, I've gotten. In fact, the uh, artist I mentioned that did that that figure. He's uh, he works with one in England and uh, a death cafe there. I think they're more more um, prevalent there, which of Europe, of course. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've, I've gotten some understanding. I don't know a lot about it, but I'm actually going to be, and we're planning to go to England next year in May or June, and I'm going to be there at that doing a talk at one of those death cafes. But I, it's a subject that, that more and more people are, I think, getting on board with. I, I found it, oddly again, that Christians have a harder time talking about death than atheists do, which seems odd to me. And you would think they'd be in a hurry to get to heaven, but they're not because maybe they don't really believe in it at all. Um, 
I'm connected with a group called the Final Exit Network, which you may have heard of, which um, does not have to ascribe to the laws that uh, that some of the states have enacted, the death with dignity laws that some of you may be aware of in some of the more liberal states. Those laws are a step in the right direction, as I see it, but they're still very um, difficult because they have such such strong um, and, and multifaceted limitations around them. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't need to have to move to Oregon or, or Colorado or one of those places because the final exit network, they work with you to arrange things to take care of it yourself. And that's that's the, the route that I'll be taking. And I'm actually going to be working with them. They reached out to me again. They heard me on a podcast. The executive director reached out to me and I'm going to be doing some um, uh, promos or something, you know, talking and doing some getting some publicity out for them. Because we got to start talking about this stuff more. Death cafes, final exit, you know, taking matters in our own hands and not being. I believe that one of the reasons the U.S. is so far behind the rest of the world in so many ways um, in this area is because of the religious undercurrent that that flows like a, a big river under the under the surface of this country. And you can't play God. We play God every day. When you hook someone up to a ventilator in a hospital, you're playing God. I mean, let's get real. Let's just stop this bullshit. So I'm with you. I agree. We got we got a lot of work to do. Uh, first off, great socks. Yeah, let's hey, get uh, that yeah. out of the way. Right. Those <laughs> are great. Uh, so the religious part is not even in my world. But a question I wanted to ask you, get your take on it. One of my favorite song lyrics is that maybe time running out is a gift. Um, being that the long term isn't even in your world anymore, what's changed for you with no long term expectations in the world? When you only have to think short term, what's different? Um, I cry more than I did before, and it's not about myself. It's about I get moved by the beauty of a moment more than I ever did before, and I did that a lot before. I've always been a an emotional person, and um, I, I, I was carpeting the fucking DM before this, and now I just mashed the accelerator down. And so I have no time for um, stuff that doesn't interest me. I say no easier than I used to. You know, a lot of us say, we say yes to things we should say no to. Conversely, we say no to things we should say yes to. And so I've paid more attention to what I want to say yes and no to. And, and I've, I've lived in the moment even more than I used to. And I've, uh, everything's brighter and sweeter and more important. I, I put my phone down, and put it away when I'm with someone, and I look in their face and I talk to them. I'm present. And I care more than I did before, and I don't know. I think that's, I talk about that a lot, and I think that people are realizing, wait a minute, I don't have to be dying to do this? <laughs> no, you really don't. It's really better if you're not. So, you know, just do it, and, and, and life is sweeter, and life is beautiful. Hi, Dave. Hi. Thank you. This is amazing. Um, 
I'm really curious about, I know you mentioned that it wasn't like, like that one day you just woke up and no longer believed that it was a gradual process. But I'm really fascinated by that. I don't know if you could speak a little bit more to it. Um, I just want to say that I am, I find myself so frustrated by this large group of people in this country that believe things that aren't true. And I think you can almost put them in the same boat as people who believe um, fanatically in religion. They're often the same person. Um, So I'd love to understand more about how you woke up and maybe understand how I can help others to wake up. Well, the, the only way to help others, as I mentioned before, the only way I did it was to allow myself to ask the hard questions, the questions I never allowed myself to ask before. Because as a Christian, you know, you always, they'll say, yeah, doubts are good. You've got you to gotta face your doubts. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. But there were always lines that I wouldn't cross in terms of asking a hard question. Is God really there? Did God really, did the Bible really mean that? Did the Bible really say that? Because to me, the Bible was everything. It was the Word of God. It was infallible, inspired Word of God. And I started dissecting it when I started allowing myself to ask those questions. Is this true? Is this reliable? Is it, is it, uh, is it what I want to believe? Is it, what I, is it the way I want to live? Um, for me, it was a process of evaluating all the things I believed for so long. Um, I've said it before, and a lot of people say it, it's the death of a thousand cuts. You just one cut, one cut, one cut, you bleed a little, bleed a little, and eventually you're just bleeding all over the place. So over the period of 37 years, I'd seen so many instances where God was supposed to be in the picture and just was nowhere to be found. God was supposed to be saying something and said nothing. And when I began to ask myself those questions, is God, is this Bible true? Is God really here? And I allowed myself to honestly answer the question instead of asking a question with a presupposed answer, which is not really asking anything. So the only way I think that any of us wake up and the only way we can help other people wake up is to challenge the assumptions that we have and to ask, you know, people that have always believed a certain thing, just look at them and say, how do you know that's true? How do you know that's right? Do you know that's right? Are you willing to examine whether it's right or not? Is there anything that would cause you not to believe that? What is that? Those kind of questions. Those are honest questions that every human being ought to ask themselves. That help? Does that answer your question? That was the process for me. And then I just woke up one day and realized, wow, this is not true. It's never been true. Hey, Dave. Hey, um, my best friend's mom just died, and I was in Houston on Wednesday for her funeral. Um, and they're Guatemalan, uh, and his sister, who lives in Houston, had had posted because um, she happened to she died on October 26th, very close to the Day of the Dead, and um, his sister had posted something about her ofrenda, which, like, if you've seen Coco, (laughs) you see, like, it's this sort of shrine that you make to people who who have died, Um, and there's, you know, some folklore behind that and stuff. Um, I'm wondering, with this, like, reflection on death and being near to it, if, 
um, how you relate to the grief of loss in your life and um, if there are ways that, um, like, when you die, not not this process, this process sucks for you, right? But, like, when you die, it sucks worse for us, right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> um, and what what does that look like, you know, for us losing you? Like, I can say, oh, it's peaceful, and it just, like, doesn't exist anymore, right? But, like, there's something in our lives that is gone. Um, and I don't know if you have any sort of ways that you've grown in this area or ways that you have honor or grieve or, um, or that if there's any thought about us, like, um, honoring you and how to, how to relate to that, um, when the time comes. Well, one thing I have decided that we're going to do is, um, Lauren, you're not supposed to be crying. <laughs> We're going to have a, a memorial service before I go uh, because I'm going to be able to be close enough to that day where I'm going to say, okay, this is the day on the calendar I'm looking at, and let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Um, and I'm egotistical enough that if people are going to come to my funeral and say nice things about me, <laughs> I want to be there to hear them. <laughs> Oh, stop. Yes. No, stop. Oh, really? Stop. Stop. Um, no, I just think that makes more sense, right? Um, I, I'm, very, I'm very aware that, that my loss is, is, is your loss, not mine. And the people in my life that care about me and the people that are going to miss me. Um, I'm so aware of that. It just... It, it, pains me um and and it's uh, I, I don't know what to do about it other than uh we the, we just got the trailer done for the documentary and the the part that he chose to in the trailer says that um that i know i'm going to die but i know but i'm aware that that it's going to be harder for the ones that i leave behind than it is for me and i just want to leave them with as many good moments as i can So that's my goal, is to squeeze as much out of what we have as I can and the time with people that I can spend with them and make that happen and not, in other words, don't say no going to that visit, say yes. Spend the time, spend the money, do the thing that you know matters because you just, you won't be able to afterwards. I've got... A bunch of really close friends at home in Nashville, and a bunch of early on, early on in the process, y'all are gonna have to tell me when to quit because I'll do this all night. So I don't know what time we're at here, but somebody shut me down. Um, I got a group, group of guys called the the Death Squad, and because um, you know we joke about this shit. Um, but early on, we were having uh, drinks one night at a bar, we, and it was back in March. Early on in the in the whole journey here and <coughs> several guys hanging out. Um, turns out all four of us that were at that bar are clergy project members. Um, 
And so we're having these drinks, and one of the guys, Brian, just looks at me and says, Dave, can I ask you something? And he's, he's, a, he's a real intense, emotional guy, and he was serious. And I said, yeah, Brian, what's up? He said, can I be there with you at the end? And I said, really? You, you want to be there? And he said, I would be honored. And Cass and Eric both said the same thing. We, we do too. And I said, sure, idiots. If you want me to. <laughs> no, I said, guys, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine why you'd want to do that. Because it's going to suck for you. I'm going to go to sleep and you got to deal with that. And I know that that's not going to be easy. And they said, no, but it's, it's, our, it's our way to honor you, and we want to we wanna do that. And so that's the kind of people I'm surrounded with. And they're fucking atheists <laughs> who don't have morals and don't care about anything. So that's, it's, grief is something that we all have to deal with, and I don't know how to avoid it, but just... Do the best you can on this side of it is what I'm trying to do. Alice crying. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Are we done? We soaked this for all we can. I think so. I think our time's up. Yep, 530 right at it. Yeah, right on the nose. All right. Thank you all so much. Um, I think we have to get out of here in a fairly timely manner, but feel free to take a few minutes to give greetings to Dave um, before you go. And thank you all so much for being here. Um, We're grateful to you for making this happen.